0: welcome to back to the futures the official podcast of the futures league presented by changeup i'm owen Chadrick. thank you everybody again for tuning in whether you're watching or listening well standings update here for you in the league vermont remains on top in first place they've only lost 12 games they are 30 and 12 by the way this is as of thursday july the 14th nashua won nine in a row last week and has won three in a row since to propel themselves to second new britain is in third westfield in fourth those are currently the four playoff teams with norwich pittsfield worcester and brockton behind them we assume obviously we are recording this before that the nesson game went very well this weekend at billy bullens field seth Dussault was on episode six talking about how great it was to get billy bullens that exposure on nesson and it was great to have him and nesson represent the pioneer valley in such a great way so thank you again to nessen and the pack network for getting that done we also had some big news regarding our all-star game we are changing up the format a little bit this year it's really cool really excited to do this we named two captains for our all-star teams it's two returning guys two experienced veterans in the league Joel lara of the new britain bees and george goldstein of the Marat lake monsters actually former teammates of the Brox and rocks have been named our two captains it's going to be great We have some special All-Star content coming out for you this week, so stay tuned for that. But congratulations to Joel and George for not only being named captain, but being named the first two All-Stars for the All-Star team. And stay tuned this week for the rest of the rosters on that front. A reminder that our All-Star game is July 26th. That is a Tuesday. It will be in New Britain, Connecticut. We are excited for everyone to come out for that. It'll be a beer fest with the home run derby and the all star game all on the same day this year. You do not want to miss that. And again, rosters will be out this week. So be ready for those. We also have one more Nesson game next weekend that will be in Brockton. A lot of Futures League stuff coming up at the end of July and it leads right into August, which is the push for the playoffs. Believe it or not, yes, we are almost there. But before that even happens, we have another Nessun game where play-by-play announcer Paul Lambert will be taking the reins again. He is our guest here for episode eight of Back to the Futures. He talks about his time with the Bravehearts. He's been with the team since 2016, except with the exception of 2017. He has been with Franklin Pierce, just graduated from there. Tells a lot of cool stories about the Futures League, about the Bravehearts, about Franklin Pierce, and he even dips into the politics game a little bit. It's an episode you do not want to miss. We're going to get you to that interview. So here is Paul Lambert. We are honored to be joined by our next guest here on Back to the Futures. He is the play-by-play announcer for the Worcester Bravehearts and is also calling three of the four Nesson games in July here for the Futures League. It's Paul Lambert. Paul, how are you doing today? I'm
1: great, Owen. Thanks for having. Thanks so much for having me uh, on Back to the Futures. Great to be here.
0: Yeah, of course. We're excited to have you. And we'll start with the obvious. You've been with the Bravehearts since 2016, with the exception of one year you mentioned to me off the top before we started recording What's it been like to be with the organization now for your sixth year? Yeah, I
1: mean, it's, you really, you think about it, then the team was what founded in 2014, played their first season in 2014, you know, to have been in different roles, you know, scored games, be, being on the broadcast work in ballpark operations. I mean, it, it's crazy to think about uh, 2016, where the Bravehearts were then where they are now. Uh, it, 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 it's really amazing.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned the many different roles you have. Your current role is the head by play-by-play by play announcer for the Bravehearts. When you earned that role, when you earned that position, what did it mean to you?
1: Well, it goes back to I remember sitting at games at that ballpark for years. You know, obviously, the Worcester Tornadoes played there from 2005 to 2012 was at games with them uh, in 2014, 2015, went to Bravehearts games, and, you know, seeing that press box that was always looking back when, even when I was a little kid, I always thought that was like this special place, right? So being able to go up there and be able to call games, uh, that was initially what was really cool about it. And then, you know, the stories uh, of the team, you know, in 2019, uh, the team played in so many crazy games. Uh, I remember the first game I called for the Bravehearts, it was a baseball and education day. So you've got 3,300 screaming kids Uh, and Worcester comes through and wins thanks to a late rally in the seventh, eighth innings, and the game ends on a diving catch by Idelson Tavares uh, to win, so, I mean, that was so cool, and then getting to call a championship team, I mean, that season, and then uh, you go on to 2020, right, with the COVID-shortened season, and, uh, you know, playing at Doyle Fields, I mean, with, you know, it wasn't, Fitton field, obviously, but getting to play baseball that summer and getting to call baseball was really cool as well. And I think that's made me appreciate the last couple uh, years that much more, you know, being back a little bit more normal at, at Fitton, uh, seeing the baseball and education days this past year. I mean, that is, that has made that much more special. And again, you appreciate each time you're at the ballpark a little bit more too.
0: And talk about that a little bit more. You went from, you know, you grew up in the, in the area. So you went to these games, you saw the tornadoes, you saw the first couple seasons of the Bravehearts as a fan and then transitioning to the press box. What was it? What was that like? in kind of going from, you know, being a fan, being a watcher to being, you know, part of the organization as an employee.
1: Well, it was definitely a, a huge, it was a 180, right? Because, you know, I think a lot of Sports fans think, oh, you just show up to the game, but you really do. It's cliched, but you understand how much goes into it. You know, my first season, it wasn't in the press box back in 2016. I worked down in our kid zone. So we had mini golf and we had inflatables and basically overseeing that for a summer. And that was just kind of one almost spoke of the wheel type thing where that's just one area of the ballpark. You got the fan assistance, you've got the press box, hospitality, concessions, uh, promotions, and the press box again. So then moving into the press box in 2018, whole different perspective. I was the scorer for the team in 2018. So learning how to score baseball while at the same time getting a feel for just overseeing everything over the top was uh, really unique. And then moving into a broadcasting role in 2019 since, uh, it was, you just, you see how much goes on in different departments of the ballpark. And then you really see, even in a place like the press box, there's, so much more that goes on that everyone kind of has their role right you've got a score you've got music you've got the broadcasting you've got social media so there's so much that goes into operating a baseball game even on a collegiate level you know you see it you see it all the time with say uh, the major league baseball but uh, in the futures league the Bravehearts do a lot of work to put on a show
0: yeah they certainly do and a big part of that for you too is not only being on camera, but a lot of off-camera stuff too. You dip into the production side of the broadcast a little bit. When you when you do that, when you're off camera, what do you take from learning what goes on behind the camera and applying that to the to your you know skills on camera? I
1: think as when you do off-camera work, you appreciate how difficult it is. Like I, I think it goes back to when you're watching a game on TV. You know, it seems simple in theory to just follow the ball, but there's a certain cadence to it, right? It's not, it's not as, it's not, you you pick up a camera and go do it. It takes a lot of skill. And that's something that uh, you're always learning to, to get better at, you know, uh, with same thing with graphics, uh, same thing with switching the camera. There's a lot that goes into putting a broadcast together and, You appreciate different things, you know, when when you're broadcasting a game, you're looking on how you call a play. But the important side of the production is it doesn't matter how good a broadcaster's call of, say, say Gavin Noriega hits a walk off double uh, for a game uh, tonight. It doesn't matter if I put a great call down what I think is a great call if production team's not there to get it on camera. Or to make sure the audio's up, so my voice is there, or to set the scene. If fans don't know what the score is, they're not going to know uh, that it's a walk-off hit. And so, in that sense, I think the production side of things uh, deserves way more credit than I do, uh, because there's there's so many more things that the fans need. I I always see myself as a supplement. Never it's never about me. It's really about the production side getting the broadcast out the right way. So getting into that challenge, especially last year was when I started doing uh, camera operating and helping out with graphics and whatnot, that's when uh, you really begin to appreciate that. And having done a little bit of that up at, having done some of that up at college uh, in years before that, had that respect before, but that much more uh, as the last couple summers have gone on.
0: Yeah. I mean, you talk about camera work and following the ball. I, I'm picking up a camera a little bit this summer and that's hard. It's tough. Like it's tough trying to follow that little white ball and at sunset or, well, it's easier at night, but that's, it's tough stuff. So again, big shout out to everybody that does production. Cause that's, it's a tough, it's a tough job, but it's, it's fun when you get the hang of it, obviously.
1: Yeah. I mean, it absolutely is. And it's, that's, so when I have a good day, say on camera it's yeah we captured that double play you know you go from a double play ball from third to second to first A five four three double play is a lot harder to capture uh with a camera than you might think it's easier and for me it's easier for me to call it than it is to uh follow the ball and, and capture it the right way but when we get things like that right that's that makes me so excited so when i broadcast it and i watch it back and i see the camera work and when it's great camera work it's like yes not only do we you know i didn't i did a decent job on my end but production did a great job with camera too so it really with i always think without me you see you still see the fielder catch the ball so that's where it goes into i have the production crew for the brave does a great job for broadcasts and um you know deserve all the shout outs in the world for for what they do
0: Yeah, the Bravehearts and everybody that has worked with Blue Frame and with the FCBL network. It's been awesome. And another network that does a very good job of that is Nessun. And you have had, you broadcasted a game this past weekend. Well, when this releases, it'll have been two games, but we're recording this on Thursday morning here. You have another game at Billy Bowens Field this weekend on Nessun. It'll be your second of three games. What has it been like to do play-by-play on Nessun after doing sideline reports last year?
1: Yeah, so going back to 2021, where there were two games, two of the league showcase games on Nesson that we did, I was sideline reporting for. There was a game between Worcester and Pittsfield and then uh, Norwich and Westfield. And there's a lot that goes into sort of covering the league. It's, it's a different hat you put on, right? You're looking to tell stories. when you When you're doing a broadcast about the league itself, it's more about telling the story of the futures league about the stories of the teams themselves than it is necessarily about the game. Uh, because uh, as we go on, we're trying to explain what the futures league is right to people watching and, and get into, this is compelling stuff, right? Like when Cam McGuire this past week, a couple of weeks ago now uh, did, it was a great sideline report on the Worcester fan wall. That's a great story. And you know, if, if, if we treated the game just as oh, nine innings straight up, straight down, balls, strikes, final score, you'd walk in and you say, oh, that was a good game. But when we add the storytelling to it, well, this is compelling. Now I want to go to a Bravehearts game or a Starfires game or an Nashua Silver Knights game, whatever team in the Futures League you want to, uh, you're closest to. And so when we're able to tell the stories of each team and, and what makes them so special, that's what makes people want to go to the games and really follow the Futures League. And I think we did a great job of that this past uh, the, the, the first game with Brett Chavez. You know, he was he was great uh, on color commentary, bounced stuff back and forth. Um, we did an awesome job, I, I thought. And the and production wise was great. Uh, we had athletic director uh, Kit Hughes on from Holy Cross, talked about the relationship between Holy Cross and fit and field. Had Evan Franz on, uh, who signed the one day contract with Brockton, had that base hit. I mean, great story there. Awesome stuff having him on. Um, just just telling stories. It's about the stories in the Futures League more than it is about the final score when when doing a game like that.
0: Yeah, and that's what broadcasting is all about. So that's great to hear from you that that's, you know, you want to be, again, you don't want just nine straight innings of, oh, it's one nothing, it's two nothing. You want to tell the stories, even if it's a Red Sox-Tampa Bay Rays game in the middle of the week or whatever. You know, you want to tell a story. You want to make people engage at least a little bit. So that's, that's great that we're doing that for the Futures League, obviously.
1: Yeah, and I think you when you watch any game, when a fan tunes into the game, you want to know, well, why should I be watching? Well, for some people, it may be, oh, it's a close game. You know, the Futures League, the first two games, I mean, you talk about a walk-off win for Nashua, and then Brockton comes in and scores six runs in the ninth inning to beat Worcester. Two great games that, that we've had on Nessen. So the quality of, of of game has been great. Uh, but, you know, you got to get to the end of the game, and you got to keep people – interested and the great thing is is that there's so many stories in the futures league uh, to tell you know and so that's uh, what what it's about so when obviously if a fan tunes in it's the ninth inning and it's a close game well that's one thing but when you tune into the third inning and you find out the history of fit and field and you find out Ted Williams had a home run here and Babe Ruth played here and Lou Gehrig played here like that's really interesting and people are going to stay interested for the rest of the game
0: yeah absolutely it's all about those stories and There's certainly been enough stories that you could tell about everything in your six years in the Futures League. But what has changed most since you started with the Bravehearts in 2016 about the league? I think what I've seen in the Futures League most is
1: just we've expanded. We've we've seen the league expand to all these different places, you know, now up in Burlington, Vermont, Norwich, Connecticut, New Britain, Connecticut. These are places uh, that... Didn't even think about being at when 2016, 2018, 2019. So to see these teams enter the league and to be able to have these venues to go and see games at and play games at, that's really special. And uh one of the I will say the one of the constants though is the Bravehearts have always been there, you know, seven, uh, seven straight championship uh series runs at four championships, playoffs every single season. Uh so that's been great to see. That's been a constant. Um, mentioned the home run rule, you know, obviously in 2016, when uh, my first year with the Bravehearts didn't have a home run uh, derby to decide the winner of a game. So, and, and and that's, of course, that's something that you don't see in many places across the country. I mean, that's, that's a very futures league centric, unique thing. So uh, seeing the the league expand though, and really become a true league that goes across new England, that's been really exciting to see. And, and, and I enjoy going on the road with the team to, when I go to these different places, it's fun to watch a ball game at Norwich or new Britain or Nashua or Brockton or, or anywhere. Uh, Westfield uh, in Vermont as well. Uh, not to pick on anyone, but uh, I love going on the road and I love seeing these different places and that the fans care just as much as they do in Worcester. That's what's great too, is there's the, the fans despite all the expansion and the season getting longer, the fans still care, right? Up in Vermont, great fans up there. When we went up there for the uh, game one, of last year's playoff series between Worcester and Vermont fans were great and having a fan base that's jumped into the league like that uh, just using them as an example uh, that's that's what's really exciting right when you see expansion but that same passion so it's a little bit of staying the same
0: while things get different in that regard yeah I couldn't have said it better myself and from the league to the Bravehearts in particular <clears throat> what have you what are the changes that you've seen most within the organization
1: yeah, I think it's, we've seen the, I think the promotions that the Bravehearts are running in 2022 are the, the best they've ever been, you know, I mean, look at everything that's that's gone on this summer, right? I mean, the those two, you choose the rules games, and we saw other teams in the Futures League do it as well, that exhibition game against norwich where you have the base paths and giant s curves all the way up the first base and third base lines and you have players playing kickball in the fifth inning and a metal bat home run derby and rock paper scissors on the base paths that's awesome right like i've never seen a baseball game like that and uh i was and after the first game of you choose the rules i was so excited to come back and see it um the worcester tornadoes throwback night was so much fun uh, seeing the tornadoes jerseys back. I got a lot of heavy dose of nostalgia for that. Uh we just had a bark in the park uh night uh recently, and that was always that's always that's always a, a ton of fun. We got good weather for it this year, and uh that was I I love the promotions that the Bravehearts have done. And I think the promotions that in 2022 are have just been so much fun. And it's of course, uh getting to call those games has been really special as well, you know, when all of a sudden when it's so different to prepare for a game where all of a sudden you're playing kickball for an inning, right? Like what do I do for that? So it's about just getting in the moment and having fun. And I think that's what the Bravehearts have done with their promotions is you just have fun. You go to the game, you have a good time, you sit down, you relax, enjoy yourself and you leave and you have a good time. Everyone has a good time when they see a game, like you choose the rules.
0: Yeah. It's so funny. You mentioned that. Cause that was my next question is to, like, that's got to be weird to call that's like how do you even remotely prepare for that
1: the best way to be prepare for it is i mean well you can't go to okay uh what is costa trasitas done uh playing kickball in the fifth inning uh, in his career yeah. he has of like stats to go back to right so you, you just have a, a great time with it you 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 just you get into the moment what i mean what's jake the lion done in the batters box he gets plunked with a pitch on his first Uh, on the first one that's lobbed right in at him. You know, you just, all you do is you have fun, right? You you sit back in the moment, you have fun. Our first game on Tuesday did count. So the, I mean, we played baseball. Uh, The rules weren't quite as wacky as we saw on Wednesday in the exhibition. So you prepare a little bit more for a normal game for that, but game still ends in a home run derby. So, uh, it, it's all about focusing on the atmosphere and making sure that that story is told, right? Like at that point for an exhibition game, it's an exhibition game, right? Norwich, Worcester, obviously, uh, Braveheart's fans want to see Worcester win, but at the end of the day, everyone just has fun. Everyone has a great time. So getting that out to the on the broadcast that everyone's having a great time and that the players are having a great time. I, I think when both teams buy into uh, the you choose the rules, like uh, Worcester and, and Norwich did on that Wednesday. That's what makes something like that work. Is everyone had fun on the field? Everyone had fun in the stands. I had a lot of fun calling that game up in the booth. So just just let the moment kind of wash over you, right? Like like embrace the 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 sort of infectious atmosphere that the crowds got going for it, and and just let that take over the broadcast and just kind of uh, I guess complement it with with uh telling that story you gotta embrace the weird exactly exactly right and that was I, weird wacky whatever you'd like to call it it was a lot of fun
0: yeah that certainly was a lot of fun to follow that day on social media on the broadcast etc it was it was entertaining 100 and you mentioned some of the promotions that the Bravehearts are doing you mentioned the nostalgia of the tornadoes but i mean it could be that one but which one of those is your favorite that the Bravehearts have got going this year and and what's it like to be part of that just having so many so much new content coming out this year in 2022
1: yeah I mean again we've said it, a pick from the buffet my, my my two favorites are the you choose the rules and, and the bravehearts um throwback night I, I will say um you choose the rules we had a, we had a great crowd for both games you know kids had a great time I think uh, the chaperones had a great time as well. Um, I, I've, we hadn't had that since 2019, right? With, with pandemic affecting 2020, start of 2021. So having that back in 2022, I mean, that was really where I got to, this is what the Bravehearts are all about. This is, this really sums up when I think of some of my favorite Bravehearts games, I go back to uh, 2018, seeing a bunch of kids in the stands, 2019, seeing the same thing. And that's the loudest crowd of the year. So that's the best crowd of the year. So for me, when you have 3,000 screaming fans and it's a close game and the Bravehearts are up to bat and you see an RBI double hit and the run song plays and the whole crowd gets into the run song, that's that's what it's all about. So I, I always go to you choose the rules. The Tornadoes one uh, as well. That was uh, really special because, again, going back to what I said earlier, when you're six years old and you're watching Worcester Tornadoes games and Dave Peterson, who worked for the Tornadoes, is doing it and is doing promotions and stuff like that on field MC dancing in the stands uh, late in the game when you need a rally, seeing him out there doing the exact same thing and the Tornadoes come back and walk off and win and being able to call that, that was a very special game. And seeing everyone in the Tornadoes uniforms and staff shirts and whatnot it, it was it was a time machine so those those two for me are are, are some of my favorites
0: and one other staple of Bravehearts games i guess when brave the brave hearts are losing is the tequila rally and you were kind of there you weren't sorry you weren't kind of there you were there when it was basically born in 2019 talk about the tequila rally from a broadcast perspective because it's insane
1: yeah, so I go back to I was doing social media for that game. Anthony Mazzini uh, and former broadcaster for the Bravehearts and Donnie Piccaro, uh were calling that game, and that was so, such a strange game. And I, I think the going into that, it was July two thousand and nineteen, and Bravehearts and Silver Knights are playing, and it's just a strange game. You know, we see a couple lead changes. The Bravehearts go up, Silver Knights go up, and it's seventeen to ten going into the bottom of the eighth inning. You know, it's not a lot of 17 10 games, and all of a sudden, if someone has the idea, I don't remember who it was, to play tequila by the champs, and just play it the whole inning, see what happens, get the crowd into it, 1710, let's get the crowd going, and one run comes across, and then another, and another, and Tequila keeps playing and Nashua goes through at least one pitcher. They make one pitching change might've been two pitching changes that night in that inning. And everyone's having a great time, you know, in between it and Tequila must've played for 20 minutes, just on an endless loop. In uh, Only time it didn't play was during the pitcher in play or when the run song wasn't playing, which happened six times that inning. So the Bravehearts lose the game 17, 16, but, it got the crowd going into it and the Bravehearts ended up winning the championship that year. So, I mean, they got hot as the season went on and end up winning the whole thing. And the tequila rally, we've seen it. I don't know. I was saying this on a broadcast a couple of days ago. I don't think there's a Sabermetric stat uh, for tequila rallies in the eighth inning when Dave Peterson's got the tacky jacket on and Worcester's trailing, but it's happened a couple of times. It's it happened this year and on tornadoes night happened last year. I remember against the Pittsfield Sun specifically uh, at the end of July. So uh, it, it was so cool being there that day. And now having seen that tradition, and now it, it happened sort of on a whim. It, it wasn't, it wasn't like we went into that game saying, okay, if the Bravehearts are losing eighth inning, we're going to play tequila and see what happens. It just happened. Someone decided to do it. And the fact that it's still happening now and now, whenever we go into the eighth inning, bottom of the eighth inning, it's like, oh, tequila rally coming up on the other side of the break. It's expected now. And everyone has a great time with it. The fans love it. And to be in now, I guess, year three of it going on at fit and field, it's been really cool to watch that from the outset.
0: Yeah, and you can't tell me there is, <clears throat> there is nothing, and I mean nothing, like your GM wearing a tacky jacket dancing in front of the press box. There's just, there's just nothing better than that.
1: No, I mean, well, I mean, there's a lot of crazy things that Dave Peterson does uh, when he's out there in the stands. But yeah, in the eighth inning, when he's just dancing, and what is unbelievable is he'll just start off dancing by himself, right? Doesn't doesn't say, hey, come join me. And people just gravitate (laughs) toward him when he's dancing. So all of a sudden, you'll see a conga line of 30 people behind him going through the stands uh, as as an inning, as a tequila rally just continues. I mean, I, I don't see that. At, I don't know if I've seen that at a lot of ballparks or any other ballpark for that matter, uh, but it's, it's again, it is distinctly Worcester Bravehearts and the bottom of the eight tequila rally that is worked when it works. Of course, whole place goes nuts, but even when it doesn't, it gets the fans going and everyone has a great time. And again, Bravehearts are all about having fun and the bottom of the eighth inning Whenever the Bravehearts, even if they're trailing, uh, is all about having fun. And everyone does have fun.
0: Yeah, everybody certainly does have fun. And that general manager, of course, being Dave Peterson. And the Credens obviously, have run the Bravehearts very, very well over the last years, all of the years. that The Bravehearts have been a thing. <clears throat> what is your relationship like with Dave and the Creedans? So you go back to 2016
1: for me. Uh, when first year with the Bravehearts and I see Dave Peterson and for the first time as you know working for the Bravehearts and I remember him as oh he's the guy who did all the wacky stuff for the tornadoes when he was the MC, and now he's been the GM of the Bravehearts and uh and getting to know Dave over the last six years now I mean it's, it's incredible I mean no seeing the guy who does the tequila dance and wears the rally jacket and plays I need a hero when the team's trailing in the bottom half of the ninth inning and all sorts of stuff. I mean, last year we caught him dancing on and We caught him dancing again this year uh, on and wearing the rally jackets and the wearing the rally jerseys rally jacket in the bottom half of the ninth inning. I mean, Noah, just being able to see that over the last six years has been so cool and you alluded to it. The Creedence have done a spectacular job um running the brave Arts. i mean we we've seen them become a worcester institution right since 2014. i mean they they have brought a lot of fun to baseball it's about what's going on in the field but it's also about what's going on in the grandstands too in the in the in the concourse it's about having a great time and Everyone has a great time when they come to the Bravehearts. I, I, I stand by that. Everyone just has fun. I certainly have fun when I go to call a game. And then I, and from where I can see in the press box, you just see so many people smiling, enjoying themselves. And that's a testament to what the credence have done. And you see uh, back in 2020, I, I always go back to I don't think it's a coincidence that the, the two teams, the Cretan zone, the Brave Arts and the Nashville Silver Knights, met in the Futures League Championship. I mean, you go back to with so much going on uh, in uh, the COVID year and having that, that shortened season, you know, the, the Cretans have run the Brave Arts so well, take over the Silver Knights and, and start running the Silver Knights. And both teams meet in the championship series in the second year of that partnership. So um, it's been listen, I, I love working for the Credens and, and Dave Peterson and uh, it's it's been a really fun time uh, since 2016. Can't believe it's been that long, but since 2016.
0: Yeah, it's crazy how time flies when you're having fun, and and that's certainly been a testament to how the Petersons and the Creedons have done with the Bravehearts.
2: Hold on, we'll get right back to Back to the Futures, but first, we want to share a message from our friends at 78 Sports. Do you have kids playing baseball or softball? We all know practice time is limited, especially here in New England, not to mention the cost of lessons and cage time can add up very quickly. Save yourself time and money by giving your kids what they need to work on their game at home. Our friends at 78 Sports can help you put together the perfect at-home training setup. Whether you want to start small with just a tee and a net or looking to set up a full cage with turf and a pitching machine, they have you covered. And I've used their stuff before. I've seen their facilities. They definitely cover everything. The team at 78 Sports design and install hundreds of at-home and commercial sports training facilities. So let them help you find the perfect setup for your space. Visit the 78 Sports website at 78sports.com. That's S-E-V-E-N-T-Y. The number eight sports.com for a limited time only by just mentioning back to the futures you'll receive a 10 percent discount off your order that's s-e-v-e-n-t-y number eight sports.com now back to your regularly scheduled programming
0: and transitioning to your college years here you just graduated from franklin pierce you were very involved there specifically in the communications department what was it like broadcasting and doing a lot of things for franklin pierce
1: so, yeah, I mean, this past, this senior year was absolutely crazy. Did something like 80 games in total uh, for Franklin Pierce and some other schools and getting to call a bunch of different sports, you know, just going all in and calling four different sports in the fall, two more in the winter and three more in the spring. That's as good as it gets. Right. You know, and it forces you to learn, you know, and that's not even if you're not an expert on a sport like field hockey or lacrosse, you know, you become an expert and or become well versed in the sport, I should say and what i discovered and i guess i knew it beforehand but really got the sense of is it doesn't really matter what sport it is when there's a when there's something compelling happening on the field you just get that sense and the story in a game becomes easier to call when you approach it from that perspective you're looking for what's the most interesting thing about this game about this moment in the game right now and so When you get an overtime game in lacrosse and if it's one of your first couple lacrosse games, you're calling, you know how to tell the story. This is a dramatic moment and it's about conveying how important this is for both teams that are playing. Uh, I go back to field hockey, same thing. First field hockey game I ever called was overtime, but it's overtime. You know, it's a close game and you've got a first year head coach on one side and there's storylines that you focus on. And uh, and then you get the knowledge of the sport that comes with that. And that's something where sort of I found that sort of practice made perfect, you know, watch games before calling it but uh, just to kind of get a sense for the flow of the game but the more games you call the better you become at a sport you maybe aren't necessarily necessarily comfortable with. So I, again, I, I found that lacrosse is one of my favorite sports to call and I love I, I love any game that I get to call but um, getting to call stuff at Franklin Pierce for a bunch of different sports this past year uh, was a blast. And again, that's a broadcaster's dream, right? Like you you get to basically have your pick of whatever you want to do and you get to call basically as much of it as you want. So that was great.
0: That's awesome though, that you said, you know, you didn't know too much about lacrosse and field hockey going in, but they ended up being two of your favorites to call. Like that's, that's what I think broadcasting is all about is learning new things and turning that skills into, you know. Into on-field stuff and teach it. Tell again storytelling as we talked about earlier. So that's that's great that you were able to do that. Kind of discovering new sports at the same time.
1: Yeah, as you mentioned, I mean discovering new sports. I I think you know by this point, everyone everyone who's you know obsessed with sports, right? I mean, yeah, how a basketball game is going to go. But when you're when you kind of get that, it brings out this like new excitement of you know when you when you see an overtime lacrosse game for the first time and you kind of get a feel for the pace of the of, of of how the sport plays same thing with field hockey or or, or really get sinking your teeth into soccer which i, I i've really has given me the opportunity to get more into uh this past year or or, uh, or college hockey or learning the differences between men's lacrosse and women's lacrosse uh learning things like that listen it's great to know more about know more about sports how they play and it's. Uh, it's just great when you get when you feel in control of how that game is playing out. Right. Like you you, when you get the sense of you've done your prep work, you know how the the flow of the game and then it just kind of the story becomes easier to tell. And then when you get a good game on top
0: of that, just adds that much more to it. Absolutely. Could not have said it better myself there. And another part of your college career was you dipping into the politics game a little bit. How did you get involved with that, obviously, more working in the sports side of things?
1: Yeah, well, Franklin Pierce is up in New Hampshire, and obviously, every election cycle, especially presidential elections, you know, there's always uh, there's always candidates running for the party nomination. And New Hampshire is the first primary in the country and has been for some time now. So, it's inevitable that you get a bunch of presidential candidates up to the state, which makes New Hampshire a hotbed for political coverage. And... I was able to really get into that beginning in 2019 we had a half dozen presidential candidates on campus. Uh, we had them sit in basically student panels where they would give a speech and then students and faculty of Franklin Pierce and locals within the, the community would get to ask questions and get to really know, get to understand the candidates and spend some time with them. And it's the feeling of that is totally different than being at a rally with 5,000 people at it and you listen to the candidate give their speech. But when you get to ask the candidate questions that you want answers to, that's real, That's a really unique feeling. So being able to be in the middle of that, we wrote columns, stories for the Boston Herald. Um, and one of my favorite experiences ever was we got to go out to Iowa in 2020 uh, and traveled across Des Moines, basically throughout Des Moines for four days covering the Iowa caucuses. Uh, so being at presidential campaign rallies, events, that was so cool. Seeing how a caucus itself works, it's different than a primary. People basically stand in a big room, just to, to be simple, and stand with the person who represents their candidate, and uh, and you have to meet a minimum threshold of people who are basically voting for you, and the process continues until you have a top three or four or five uh, with the minimum number of of uh of supporters so when you see that in person that was that's really cool and then the week after that we come right we fly right back from uh from des moines or we flew out of omaha back to boston and we're right back on campus and the next week is the new hampshire primary so then we get up to manchester and we basically spend four days up there uh on radio row in uh, with candidates cycling in and out, we had internet radio. We talked to um, not necessarily candidates, but political figures—Republicans, Democrats—just in who who were in the know on the presidential race. And then that night, I was so proud uh, working for our, our outlet, Politics Fits You, uh, the name of of the of Franklin Pierce's political reporting, is that we were at the victory rally for Bernie Sanders that night, and we were at Pete Buttigieg's rally as well. We had uh, President Donald Trump was there and we had him, uh, we were covering him land on Air Force One. He had a rally in Manchester that same night. So we were in three different places and uh, in the most important places on primary night. And the fact that everyone had worked so hard um, for really the, the last seven or eight months and that all culminated in that. Like that was the the high point of it all for me. Obviously, the pandemic shut things down. We were supposed to go to the conventions and the inauguration, and that didn't come to fruition. But uh, we covered those virtually, and getting to see all of that, uh, see a cover a presidential election, uh, even if some of it was remote. I mean, that's it's, it's I would say once in a lifetime experience, not necessarily, but it's so unique um, and. You, you just look back and say, wow, I can't believe we were there and, and we were in the middle of all that.
0: Yeah, that's incredible, you know, hearing about all that travel and stuff. And obviously you got to interview presidential candidates, which is insane. Which What was it like doing that and which was your favorite? Did you have a favorite? The challenge in, in, in interviewing
1: candidates is you don't want to just throw softball questions, right? You don't want to just say, well, what makes you so great? okay well they could talk for seven hours about what makes them so great that's why they're running because they're running to be the president of the united states but what is but you also don't want to be too confrontational because you want a lot of the the questions too to come from the people in the audience when you're on a panel and whatnot so we had i I think i think back to, to to um we had uh, what, former Mass. Governor Bill Weld. He was running as a Republican. We had Tulsi Gabbard, Marianne Williamson on campus. Uh, governor John Lynch was stumping for Joe Biden. Uh, John Lynch was um, as, just as a per- politics aside. I mean, he was uh, great. We talked Division Two basketball with him for probably ten minutes before that. In uh, after that interview, um, and you know, there's a reason that someone like John Lynch was so popular among Granite State voters and when he was governor because. Um, he was a he was the real deal, and, um, and I think what what you realize is there are people behind like the Democrat or Republican identification, and you realize there are there are people with families and who live their own lives and are They everyone genuinely I think is has is caring about trying to make the country a better place. So regardless of whether you agree with someone's ideas or not is that's what you realize uh, on the campaign trail, and there's so many people working on their campaigns. On each uh, candidate's campaign, that feels the same way. Not just at the national level, you see this at the state level and the on the congressional level. You see this in, in local for your local town committee. It, it happens everywhere. It's just on that much bigger a scale. And so, what makes a presidential candidate coming to New Hampshire and sitting down in front of 50 people unique is that you don't get that opportunity in a place like. California, at least not on the level you get it in New Hampshire, uh, just because New Hampshire's the first primary and people want to, uh, and that's always been seen as you got to do well in Iowa, New Hampshire, and then South Carolina, Nevada onward, and you want to get out to a strong start, so that's why the candidates focus so much on those places. So when you get half a dozen candidates to come and talk to you, you realize that there's there's people behind the the policies and and all of that, and they really just all care. And you see that human aspect of it and, and you try to juxtapose that with covering everyone fairly. And I think we did a good job of that uh, at Franklin Pierce uh, throughout 2020.
0: Yeah. And that's, and that's so cool. Kind of, obviously you've covered sports more in your career, but dipping into the politics side, that's gotta be awesome. And, and kind of talk about that for me, the difference between your sport coverage and and your politics coverage. Like what is it like kind of not only balancing the two, but, trying to differentiate the two when you're, you know, when you're switching up from something that you're not as familiar with.
1: Yeah, I I think it it goes back to being able to report and ask the right questions and do the research you need to do that transcends all journalism. It's it's not like that it's only matters in when you're reporting on the economy or you're reporting on a presidential election or you're reporting on the futures league season right you need to ask the right questions you need to do the right preparation going into an interview or an event or something you're covering and so that's something i found that the two had in common um i thought it was important to treat politics not with as an element more serious than sports because sports there are people who work so hard in sports and it is and uh, and people's lot, you know, people put their entire lives working in sports and playing sports and whatnot. But um, the the national implications uh, of of the election, I tried to make sure I incorporated that in as well because I don't think I don't think treating um, a presidential rally like uh, a Worcester Bravehearts game, it, I don't think you can do that. You know, the compelling story isn't necessarily the horse race aspect of it it's what people have to say what do people want their country to look like on the other side of the election why are people voting uh for the candidate is it why do people vote the way they do i've always found that something that's something i found really fascinating and you see this after debates and you see it after speeches and interviews all the time uh, a lot of the focus isn't on what they said it's on how they said it i always go back to you know there's a there's the story about John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon in the first debates in 1960, and uh, Kennedy having a better televised performance than uh, Richard Nixon because Richard Nixon had been really sick uh, going into that. And the two were very close in age; they were both in their uh, mid-40s. But Kennedy had the better on-camera presence, and you know, while we, you know, there's always the debate about how much of an impact it had. The it's been talked about in about every debate or stump speech or whatever since then, and that is really interesting to watch, and I don't want to say there's too much of a focus. I think I think there is too much of a focus put on that, because to me it's about what the candidates are saying, what the voters think, why the voters think the way they do, and getting that story across rather than Oh, the candidate misspoke for 15 seconds when uh, if. uh he or she went back and talked uh, and looked at what their plan was, they would have said, oh, I meant to say 90, not 87. And so for someone to harp on that, I don't think it's necessarily fair um, because these candidates are under a long political, uh, a long election process. You think about how long a presidential campaign lasts. So now now they're lasting a year and a half, right? You've got people who announced. I think you had Joe Biden announce in March of 2019, ran all the way through November of 2020, and then the transition to being president in January of 2021, that's a long time. So for everyone to expect everyone to be completely perfect on uh, on a debate stage and firing an answer off in 30 seconds, to me, that's not the story. The story is what their overall policy is and what the voters think of it. And do the voters want that out of their president or not?
0: Yeah, it's certainly interesting as someone like me who has followed sports a lot and, you know, obviously looking at elections every year and stuff, it's it's interesting to see the difference in coverage there. Before we return to Back to the Futures, we want to share a message from our friends at Zorian Bat Company. Rob Zorian started the company, Zorian Bat Company, in 2003, literally out of the trunk of his car in Davie, Florida. Within two years, he was selling his wood bat line to Major League Baseball and continues to manufacture the highest grade wood bats for Little League all the way up to the Majors. Rob Zorian, founder and president of Zorian, says, I started the company in 2003 to service all baseball players in the United States and beyond, and after 19 years, our mission has not changed. We are very excited to have the opportunity to work with the Futures League and wish all of our players and coaches a healthy and successful season ahead. For more information about Zorian, visit their website, ZorianBats.com. Zorian, America's baseball brand. Now, back to Back to the Futures. And making another pivot here, one interesting note about your career is your involvement with NASCAR and racing, which you know it's very that seems very unique lately. But obviously, it's a very popular sport. What spiked your interest in NASCAR and in, in racing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I go back to, gosh, I I remember the first race I watched. It was at uh, it was Labor Day weekend, two thousand six. Uh, it was a race at the California Speedway. It was a Sunday night. Casey Kane won over Dale Earnhardt Jr um and I, I was just hooked from from there on i mean i was a, i've been a huge racing fan ever since uh, and that was what 16 years ago now so it it, it kind of similar to the the tornadoes and, and covering the colin brave games and going to brave games and Colin brave games is getting to work within the industry that you know you watched so long as a for so long as a fan it it's it's really it's so much fun, right? I mean, we get to, I, most of my work has come at short tracks, you know, there's, uh, which is more grassroots racing. NASCAR has the big series that races on Sundays, most of the time, but they also have developmental series. And then below that they have regional touring series. So uh, one of the series I've covered for years is it's called the uh, the mod the, it's the modified tour. Modifieds are this unique race car. They race on tracks. They're not more than a, that don't go more than a mile in length, uh, and they race in front of crowds of eight to ten thousand. The drivers all have uh, full time jobs aside from the racing, and they do it because they love racing. They're not doing it to earn a giant paycheck, and that's really what most grassroots racing does. So, it's a it's such a not different way, but it's really what auto racing in america was built on especially specifically stock car racing was going to your local short track or your local uh your local track whatever it was and just watching people race who loved racing that's what nascar was built on in the 1940s and 50s and uh and it's continued to this day and so it's so much i i've people don't see that as much on the national level but uh when you go to your local track it's so much fun people just People go to it the same way they go to a ball game. Spend a few hours at the track, watch some good racing, go back home, and talk about the race and the drive back. And it's the same thing that you do when you go to a baseball game, right? You know, you watch the game for a few hours, you talk about your time at the at, at the ballpark on the way home. Um, but going to interviewing drivers, uh, it's the same thing as we talked about. You have to do your research you have to you can't it's not like you can go in and be a fan obviously you can't say oh my gosh i watched you when i was eight years old um i'm a huge fan can i have an autograph no you can't do that that's unprofessional uh, it's all about asking the right questions and you you can't be starstruck you know it, as it would be if uh, when you interview a famous baseball player football player whatever you have to take the fan hat off and put the professional hat on and go about your business right Uh, write an objective story. And, uh, and while it's fun work, it's still work in the sense that you have to make sure you're being ethical, you have to make sure you're prepared and all of that. So same thing as with broadcasting, you know, it's, it's work in the sense that I don't really look at it as all this is a a toiling job. It's just it's a fun job. And, And it's the same thing when when doing racing reporting
0: yeah and you know there's not many people at least on my twitter where i look and just see nascar content on sundays or and you said like your resumes you've wrote 100, over 150 stories on the track scene that's like that's cool and especially because you grew up watching it now you get to cover it like that's you know that's that's what you want right there is you know taking what you taking what you loved as a as a kid and making it into a reality currently so that's that's great to hear and see
1: yeah exactly oh and and you know i think when people i think people it's not just auto racing that it, that you see this at it's you see it in in sports in general as people are grow up fans of of baseball football basketball hockey whatever sport and then and everyone you know wants to to jump on in that's how everyone starts that's how sports writers start sports broadcasters start they you love sports or and in you want to be in be involved in in sports And so that's what it was for me with with NASCAR and later on, just all all auto racing in general, uh, because it goes back to uh, whether it's a NASCAR race or a Formula One race or an IndyCar race, there's daredevils behind the wheel who are trying to uh, finish first. And a lot of times it's win at all costs and um, it's really compelling when you see drivers trying to hang on to a race car that uh, the back of the car kicks out and you're on the verge of spinning out that it's insane. I would never drive 190 miles an hour. I can't, I, I couldn't do that. So there's that um, a huge amount of respect I have for anyone who wants to get behind the wheel and just loves racing.
0: Yeah, it is certainly one of the, one of if not the most unique sport out there for sure. And we're gonna take it back general here for our last two questions, starting with coming out of school, you just graduated obviously. What did you learn most coming out of Franklin Pierce And how do you plan to use what you learned at school to advance your career?
1: Yeah, I I think that a couple of things I learned from Franklin Pierce is that you can't fake your way through a broadcast. You you need to go in knowing uh, both teams. You need to go in knowing the background of both teams, the players on the teams. You can't fake that. You know, you can't just show up, put a headset on, look at the rosters and say, oh, here's how you call a game. You can do that, but it doesn't turn out very well um, broadcasting is a lot of learn by doing as well. I found is that the way you get better is that you call more games. And while, I mean, there's nothing wrong in my opinion with, you know, you, you get some, you have people help you and, and, you know, teach you the basics of broadcasting and how you can tell a story better. But when it comes down to it, it doesn't matter how many, you know, books you read when the camera goes on or, you know, you turn your mic up, you have to call the game. So. It's in that sense you have to actually do it, and the more you do it, practice makes perfect, or practice makes for better broadcasting. There's no such thing as a perfect broadcast, I think, but um, but the more you do it, the better you get. And as I was I was talking about with um, with a sport like lacrosse, where I had never I had called one lacrosse game coming into this year, but you know by but getting to call more lacrosse this spring is that's where the fun is, you know. And all of a sudden next spring. I'm looking forward to lacrosse. I was like, well, coming in, it was like, oh, well, this is new. Let's see how it goes. And now it's super excited. So I, I that's learn by doing and uh prepare. Do your background, do your research, prepare, have everything ready to go, be ready for any kind of game, right? Like if in um if if there's a, a Franklin, there a Franklin Pierce baseball game that say it went 18 innings. You got to be ready to fill those 18 innings and you've got to be ready to talk about what's going on in those 18 innings. So, yeah.
0: Those are some great lessons coming out of school. And this is our final question. We're going to call it our Zephyr question of the day. It's presented by Zephyr, the official on-field hat of the Futures League Zephyr high quality and innovative design since 1993. What has been the best part for you about working in sports and in communications and where do you see yourself in five, 10, 20 years down the line? Yeah. I I go back to, I mean, when we all get to
1: show up to a game and that's work, right? Like you get to go to a ballpark, put on a headset, having done that prep work and get to just tell the story of the game for a few hours. That to me is just so cool. I remember when I was younger, just hearing guys like Joe Buck or Jim Nance, Al Michaels, and thinking this is the best job ever. And I figured that out like eighth grade, like, This is the best job in the world where you get to tell the story of the game. And, uh, I go back to Richard Deitch, uh, who's a sports media reporter for the athletic said it well, is that the broadcaster doesn't necessarily change the game, but it changes the way you process the game and, and what information you take when, uh, when you hear a broadcaster on the game. So the way that Al Michaels calls the game is different from you process the game differently from the way Jim Nance or Joe Buck. Uh, calls the game Uh so my goal is has always been to uh just having making a living in in sports broadcasting I mean that, that's the ultimate dream if to be able to make a living and get to call sports that's that's all I think I've ever really wanted and that's and to be able to uh do that right now for the for the Bravehearts and other other places I mean that that is so that's so special and it's a and. I, I do whenever I get to the ballpark and this another cliche, right, is, you know, it's you remind yourself a lot of where you're at. And when you see a close game and it's the ninth inning, sometimes you take a couple seconds and you look at the crowd and you see 2,500, 3,000 screaming fans. And you say to yourself, this is you're here and you're getting to do this. And it's very, very fortunate. Very, I'm very, very lucky to be where I'm at right now.
0: Yeah, it's certainly been awesome to watch your development. Obviously, been, I've been with the league since 2019 when you started broadcasting. It's been great to see, you know, your growth in the broadcast booth and and with the Bravehearts. And, you know, it's it's going to be great to see the rest of this season and these Nesson games coming up. It's going to be a great rest of the summer. Paul, thank you again so much for joining me on this episode. It's been great to hear all about your experiences, and we can't wait to see you on Nesson here the next couple of weeks. Great talking with you, Owen. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. And this has been episode eight of season five of Back to the Futures, the official podcast of the Futures League. We have new episodes coming out every Monday. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see everyone soon.